Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. Today, we're here with Joe Scaris, a serial entrepreneur. I mean, I can't really get into all of his accolades because he has so many, but he's currently with Lending One, and that'll probably be our primary focus of this show. Joe, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Can we just jump right into it? Can you tell us your craziest real estate story or transaction that you've experienced? Well, I, you know, I briefly told you guys and made you giggle. You might not be old enough to remember the movie Weekend at Bernie's where the two guys killed their boss and were dragging them around the whole weekend dead. Um, so I had a bunch of clients thought up this crazy, crazy concoction because their 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 general partner died like during the like right before the closing. And they literally tried to close it with somebody that they try to make it was them. You know, like the, the dead person. So it was like a weekend at Bernie's <laughs> type of thing. All kinds of fraud all over the place. The attorney was involved. It was it just got completely insane. And the attorney got into the fraud. fraud. Well, they were part of it. I mean, we didn't press anything against them, but we just walked away and like, listen, you guys are committing fraud here. We're going to roll. We're not closing this loan. We documented it very well. So the lawyer knew not to press. And uh, yeah, they try to forge forward, forward with a dead person, and that, that's how I've heard stories of that as well. It's not my my story is no no new story. I mean, it's probably regurgitated a couple of times. Yeah, it was the first time we've heard it. I don't know about you, Tim, but uh, I mean, we've had yeah, people first for me die in a transaction, and then you know we just work around it the legal way. But this is the first time I've heard somebody just kind of you know they try to bring the dead person to the closing. Yeah. That's crazy. Now they didn't literally bring. The no, no, the but they try to get around him, yeah. him being there physically to sign as a, uh, as a somebody was going to sign on on his behalf. That's wild. Yeah. So what I would like you to do is I'd like you to take us back to what life was like pre real estate, you know, lending, et cetera, and then kind of take us into that, and then from there we'll we'll go into some of the strategies that you've learned along the way. So I graduated college uh, for, with an accounting and economics degree. Um, my name, Joseph Scarice, I had an uncle named Joseph Scarice who was a CPA. So my dad thought, hey, since you had the same name, you guys, you should be an accountant. And I said, oh, that's kind of interesting because, okay, you could always get a job knowing accounting if you know how to count numbers. But I didn't realize I didn't really like it. You know what I mean? Right. So I went through the degree, got the accounting and economics degree to kind of satisfy dad. And... You know, played into the, the accounting world, did some forensic auditing, did some um, back-end auditing for, like, like different type of state-connected uh, companies, and uh, didn't like it at all. Uh, I, I wasn't an accountant. I wasn't a very good accountant. I really didn't like it. I didn't understand it enough to be compelled to go get my CPA or anything like that. And, you know, I came out in 92 when the market unemployment was actually very high, and there wasn't a lot of job opportunities. So... I was coming out of the hotel industry, paying my way through college, coming into an industry I had zero accessibilities to, and it was kind of a struggle and uh, very, you know, dissatisfying, you know. And I had to pass my real estate license back when I was 18 in 1988. And uh, I was like, hey, let me kind of dive into this banking thing around 2001, you know, reactivated my real estate licenses, expanded that out got into the banking world, always worked for banks or bankers and uh, kind of grew it out from there. Crazy. I know Tim obviously has 
kind of a similar story in the sense that he followed the path his dad had had laid out. So, Tim, I mean, if you want to, like, I think you'd be good to ask the question here about, like, you know, what was it like? How did you know for sure it wasn't right? And then how did you deal with the feelings that came with with knowing that the path that was recommended was not not your path? Is that for Tim or for me? Uh, for you, but then Tim, I want you to take it from there. Well, you know, I took a lot of self-development okay. courses um, to kind of pull that out. It took a little bit. You know, I uh, took a, a couple landmark courses and some other personal self-development courses and had a coming to Jesus party with my father and was like, listen, this is not what I want to do. I don't love what I'm doing. I'm not going to do what you're doing. My dad was a, the head of food technology for all Nabisco. So he, he could... He could, he could create dynamite from the, the kitchen sink kind of guy. He was that kind of, he was that brilliant. So I was like, we had to talk. He was okay with it. He's like, listen, do what you love. I said, I don't love this. And I want to, and 10 years from now, I want to be able to love what I did the last 10 years. I don't see myself doing this. So he was in support of it. It was, there was obviously a struggle because it's a learning ramp up and kind of went from there. But I think the personal self-development helped a lot of that over the past 20 years. Um, here's the question I would like to ask specifically, like, when, like, how did you know that that's, that wasn't for you, right? Because, you know, your dad's telling you this, your uncle was doing it. I mean, it seems like you were having a little bit of success. You didn't enjoy the monotony of it, but how did you know that this just wasn't for you? Because it took me a while to figure out in my, because, my path. Because the older school uh, professionals like my dad and my uncle, they all thought what I, what I do now is all about sales. Okay. Mm -hmm. And they thought I was just going to be like a traveling salesman. You know what I mean? And they didn't realize there's actually structure and data requirements and calculations that you need to know. Like you need to be actually very quick witted. So once they realized that, and that I was going to be more of an asset being kind of a human calculator, really being an accountant by, by hyper-focusing numbers on behalf of other clients, and making those form of impressions, I think that all kind of resonated with them finally, mm -hmm. and the light bulb went on. You got to remember these are these were Korean War veterans. Mm -hmm. They they uh -huh. they they're old school fifties. Like all the stuff that we're talking about, like what we're doing right now, they couldn't even comprehend. They'd be in their nineties if they were alive right now. You know what I mean? So like yeah. this is like a whole another whole another generation that's not with us anymore that just didn't understand that type of transition. So they, I actually felt insecure about selling myself in the lending space because they told me your job is only going to be sales. And I'm like, no, it's not going to be sales. And I, I've structured my, my business to be not sales, not salesy, but to be more of a, uh, an advisor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think you made a super important point there. Like you said, the discovery was internal and it was based on your skill set, right? So like you realized that your highest and best skill set was somewhere else. You might have had to do some convincing to get them on the on the same train as you, but I mean, it was an internal discovery essentially. Yeah. yeah, I had to have a I had to have a transformation. Yeah, and it seems like the old school thought, you know, your dad's generation was about one, you work hard. Two, it doesn't really matter what you like; it just matters that you have a good job. I find it interesting, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, that essentially the idea was accounting is the way, and so once they could connect your new job to that that vision it's like you know it's yep. like the the older lady like honey you need to be in technology because that's where things are going right so is, was that kind of the the philosophy the light bulb went on and it was really funny even funnier i'll make you guys laugh i'm still connected with my mathematics teacher from high school okay 
Okay, and uh, I will say she was probably the most attractive teacher you have. <laughs> and so massive distraction. Plus, she belonged to my swim club. So I got to see her in her bikini oh, on the geez. off season. So it was absolute <laughs> mass distra distraction. So I did horrible in her class because I was hyper-focused on her and not focused on, um, on math. And she actually privately messaged me recently. And she says, Joe, I'm so taken back about how you're mathematically inclined. She goes, what did I do wrong? I said, uh, I said and I won't tell her you heard her name, but I said, Miss, yeah. you know, so-and-so. I said, I have to be honest. You were a massive distraction. You were so, you're still so attractive and you're, you, you were beautiful then as well. I said, I, I couldn't focus. And I said, I had to go to an ugly teacher in college for the light bulb to go on. <laughs> she started laughing. She goes, oh, my goodness. She goes, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to distract. I said, well, you used to walk around in a bikini at my pool club. I mean, it's kind of hard to take that yeah. out of your brain when September comes around. And I, right. I'm, you're teaching me classes. She laughed. So we had such a laugh. Uh, and she really appreciated the compliments and stuff like that. But right. she goes, I never, knew, I never thought you not to be determined. Yeah. She goes, you were just frustrated. I said, yeah, I was frustrated because you were so hot. Yeah. You know I mean? Oh my goodness. <laughs> that's so funny. So that's, uh, that was where the light clicked on, you know, college, I had a really focused teacher that helped me, you know, with the economic side, understand data side, understand the accounting side. And then that all ties into banking and, and being a chameleon in what I do currently today. So once you had that focused teacher, then did the love for math come in? Cause I'm imagining if you're frustrated in high school, you're not enjoying life. You're not enjoying the subject. Maybe you're you're having some some beliefs about the subject coming in. I was a math teacher in high school, so I obviously wasn't the hot teacher that kids probably. No, you wouldn't. Have, you wouldn't have done anything for me, man. Sorry. Right. So, <laughs> so the, the I got to experience kids' frustrations with math. This math is not typically a subject that high school students enjoy. My obviously my goal was to make it make it enjoyable, but. Did you have to overcome some beliefs about math? And did you yeah. fall in love with math once you had the right teacher? I, the, the biggest thing I remember from the, the teacher that kind of helped me see the light bulb of everything, she goes, every question that you skip when you're doing your homework is going to be exactly the one that's going to be on the test. And you're going to fail every time. And if you don't ask me to go into detail to put examples together to the answer, of the ones that you skip during the homework, you will fail this class and you will fail in math as a whole. And that's when it all made sense. And I opened my mouth, asked all the questions three, four times. It takes the average human mind, it takes seven times to absorb something. I'd ask seven times to make sure it absorbed. Um, and then it all kind of came. But, you know, again, a lot of this stuff still comes later in life. You know what I mean? So, like, all this mathematics, all this accounting didn't click in banking probably for the late till the last 10 or 15 years of my career. Love it. So take us through essentially you're, you're getting good at math. Did you go straight away into banking? Where does your journey pick up from there? So I was in accounting from 92 to about 2001, um, give or two, about 2000. And I, and I started seeing, that I was just going to be like a staff account for the rest of my career. Just a paycheck, go home, pick up a second job, you know, work with my dad and my uncle on their real estate holdings, make them more wealthier kind of thing. It wasn't really 
anything inspiring to me. I wasn't the go-to individual that I wanted to be. I knew I could be bigger than that with what was in front of me. And uh, by 01, I was like, I was at 9-11, uh, not at the physical Twin Towers, but I was downtown New York and kind of witnessed a lot of the craziness. I was auditing um, a financial institution, like the building behind. So when you have to run for your life sometimes, and then kind of, I got, I got over to Weehawk and walked home from Weehawk to Newark because there was no, uh, there's no phones were working, no taxis were picking anybody up. So I walked from Weehawk into Newark, that's about 15 miles, got my car and I said, what am I doing? You know, and then I just like, it all kind of, the next day I just kind of put together a, a notification that I was going to transition into some type of mortgage related finance related. I started interviewing with mortgage companies just to learn what I had to do. A bank hired me at the time and made every mistake possible five times over, um, screwed, screwed up multiple deals in the beginning, made a lot of, a lot of great failures. So you learn a lot, you know, the only way you learn from a thousand failure, you only learn from your first next thousand successes, a thousand failures. Totally. So, you know, I had to make a lot of mistakes, earn my keep, go broke a couple times. And then it all kind of started gelling together. Um, met my second wife, back in 09 and then it all really came together um moved to the philadelphia market and then kind of took my really took my business to the next level once i i planted my feet here love it so when you were going through this process of making mistakes and learning from them did you always have the mindset that that failure was the way or was that something you learned along the way is that something you had to train um a little combination of both um you know, there's no way somebody can get into this industry and not make mistakes. It's, it's numerically impossible. There's so much analysis to each client now, each deal. We were talking about engine blocks. Every everybody, every deal is a different engine block, or maybe it's not even an engine block. It's a whole other fictitious uh, type of thing. It's just, it's such a moving industry. I mean, in the past ten years, the industry has changed. Where it used to just be traditional lending and and hard money. Now there's this whole new industry that I'm in and I got to explain this over and over again to people. So it's the same thing. I mean, I still make mistakes every day evaluating a deal now. And I've got what, 22 plus 23 plus years in the industry and in lending. If I'm making mistakes, what's that person? I think the problem you have with the newer industry professionals, they're more focused. Uh, they're, they're more caught up in the look. Okay. They want to take a picture in front of a car they don't own. They want to take they want to take a picture of an airplane they're going into that they have nothing to do with. I mean, like this whole imagery. I right. think the problem is all these uh, QVC type of, uh, you, know, you know, things that are on, on TV have glorified um, real estate. And at the end of the day, old school always wins. The turtle will always beat the hare. And you got to take a very holistic approach uh, about lending when you're working with somebody because they're not buying a bicycle. They're not buying a puppy. They're buying a physical asset to create generational wealth. Totally. So where I want to take this right now is, so essentially you were in accounting, you left for lending, you were being successful in accounting, despite not feeling like it was a fit. You go to lending, you're making all kinds of mistakes. So Tim referenced the mindset, this positive mindset about working through failure. But what was it that allowed you to do that? Like you, you have your, probably your dad on the back of your mind saying accounting is the way you're in this new industry, which is not supportive of yet. I'm guessing 
you're making all these mistakes. How did you work through that one? And then two, like, cause I mean, if you look at the polls, 85% of people are not happy at all with their jobs. You obviously made the transition to become happy. So what, what got you through that? Not being a success in high school, not being the, uh, the, the top jock, not being the top smartest person in the class. I was probably like middle of the heap, whatever that heap looked like. Okay. There was, there, if you looked at my resume coming out of high school, you're like, this kid's going to be working probably as a truck driver, you know, drop out of County college after a year and be working at Uber and suddenly has three kids. And then he's just behind the eight ball for the rest of his life. I mean, that's what I look like coming out of high school. Like my dad was probably like, what is wrong with this guy? <laughs> right. Okay. He also had other opinions of me, but I mean, for the most part, he's like, what, what, I, what I develop here? Like, I mean, like my dad was a chemist, a pharmacist. I mean, like I couldn't even fill his shoes, you know? So I had zero science capability. Like my, my chemistry teacher thought I was adopted. Okay. So, cause she knew my dad. She's like, are you adopted? Like, like, you really don't have anything like to do with your dad. I'm like, I'm not my dad, you know? And I had all these very successful cousins and relatives and construction and real estate. And I'm like, no, that sounds good, but it sounds like a sales job. Now, can I sell? Can I be a sellable individual? And I think it's something that has to come naturally. You can't force the salesmanship. It's got to be very holistic. You got to be very comfortable in your skin. Um, I had to take a lot of classes that I didn't absorb right away in self-development that, that have come to the forefront only in the past three years that I apply to everyday living today. Because like the last three and a half years of my life is completely different than the last 47 years or 45, 46 years. So everything is different. There was a reset and I needed a massive transformation to happen. And but I think it all, we all live through our high school career to get, and we, that almost kind of prints us out in our brain. We think of what we're going to got, we're going to do. Do you understand? Totally. And you could stay uncomfortable or you can get very comfortable in your settings. Hmm. And I'm very comfortable in my settings. I decided to be the, the one fish that goes the other way on the stream. I go upstream. Yeah. The rest to go downstream. So I, I now hyper-focus on that. Uh, I do have a coach that I talk to once a week to keep me, keep me focused. I do a lot of holistic uh, types of treatment to keep my mindset and my body in, in check as well. So if you looked at me back in high school, I didn't complete anything to do anything right with working out and fitness and diet. There's no such thing as a diet. Diets fail. Lifestyles stay on forever. So I live a lifestyle. So I was lying to myself coming out of high school, lying to myself the first, what, 10 years out of college about everything. So it was a big lie. And then kind of you confront it or you get absorbed by it. So I confronted it. All right, great. So, I mean, that's obviously a fantastic mindset to go through. You just confront your issues, you battle them, and then you, you get through it and you move on. So, I mean, I think we kind of left off. You said you got with your second wife, and that's when things really started rolling. Like, where did things go? Yeah, I'm not that? a Mormon. I don't have multiple wives. So, it's like <laughs> one wife at a time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, I, I met my, uh, my, 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 my second wife, who's the, the love of my life, my best friend. And uh, she, uh, she, I met her in 2009, and we kind of called each other out about six months in dating. 
and we took this like class called Landmark, uh, which was a very diverse course. And uh, we both gave each other a coming to Jesus party in that in that in that uh, uh, workshop, and we took a bunch of workshops after. She actually took it ten years before, but then I called her out because it was a whole thing. I mean, if you ever taken a class like that, it's, it's everybody should take something like that at least once. And uh, things started to to really make sense and bring clarity, but I still was in denial of a couple things. I, you know, I, I thought I was always on a diet. I thought I was always taking care of my health. That was all a big lie. You know what I mean? That's just like, that's like a fantasy. It's, it's, it's a commitment and a consistency. So, um, I had a very, uh, I, and then I, with Donna, she's a, she's a homeopath holistic uh, practitioner. She owns a wellness center and a school for massage therapy. So I started surrounding myself self with as many holistic homeopathic people, which are the opposite side of my brain, right? We're one side of the brain. Those guys and gals are on the other side of the brain. So I kind of tried, I, I have merged worlds in the past three and a half, four years, and it's provided not luck, but karma, positive karma in my world. And I surround myself with a lot of positive karma in regards to this past 13 years of my life and the past three and a half has been probably the most uh, transformational, which is on a daily basis. Everyone who listens to our show knows Tim and I are passionate about obtaining financial freedom through real estate investing. We also know that everyone's situations and goals are different. And while there are programs out there that show you a path to financial freedom, many of these programs are just too cookie cutter and don't take your personality, situation, and desired outcome into account. Think about the number of times that you've watched a guru online and tried to do the exact same thing as they did, but had nowhere near the same results. You are not alone. When I got started, I was continually paying for courses and getting only partial results until I discovered the path that made sense for me. The results prove this out. Most online course creators have let us in on their dirty secrets that 90 to 95% of their students never complete their course and achieve their desired outcome. This is not something that we're okay with. The benefit of working with Tim and I is that we are interviewing between 5 and 20 people every single week. We have accumulated hundreds of seven-figure strategies and gotten inside scoop from these successful entrepreneurs. We're able to work with you to pick the strategy that will best fit and then help you create the custom plan to take you quickly into financial freedom. As a former math teacher, I always taught my students that the fastest way between two points is a straight line. If you want to get rid of the many curves in the road that can make the journey longer and more costly, then go to coaching.freedomchaserspodcast.com and book a call with us. And let's get you on a straight line path to freedom. Love it. And so you, you hit on some topics that come up a lot. I mean, essentially, like the people you surround yourself with matter. Obviously, you're surrounding yourself with really, really good people. And the fact that you're, it seems like living life from the standpoint that whatever I do has to be permanent, like it's a lifestyle. So you're not you're not running towards short things that are, you know, just going to be quick fixes. So take us, continue us on the journey. So you're probably starting to have some success now at this point that your life is getting consistent with your health. You're getting consistent with a lot of things. Take us through this journey where you're now maybe hitting your stride, getting some success. So I'm hitting my stride. I'm working for a regional bank, um, crushing it, marketing, uh, align myself with a social media strategist, Who's now a very close friend of mine, and I, I, uh, I invested some monies into his company. So we're almost like a partnership collaboration. So he handles a lot of my social media traffic and my platform and our brand. Um, but still, I wasn't 
you know, you, you, you like something, but you don't love, you know, you love something, but you don't like something. And that's what I was getting at probably the last couple of years. I was getting, I did like something crazy. I closed like over 900 loans a year for the three years straight. Whoa. Um, yeah, it was something nuts. Um, and I saw the writing on the wall and I said, I'm not going to get caught with my pants down. Like, you know, wait, I know something's happening here. And I saw it because it was just way too good. Like, I mean, hell, I mean, you could bring a monkey to the closing and close the deal. It was crazy. Um, and you hit 900 to 1,000 loans in a year, you kind of start saying, why am I not feeling appreciated? Like, why am yeah. I not feeling like, I mean, not that I, I need my, my back rubbed, but I mean, like, I didn't feel anything from anybody. They just expected. Yeah. And I was... I had a lot of people tying on to me that were just toxic and just time wasters and, you know, enablers. And uh, that built up over the past previous 10 years. And it's obviously a lot different now. So that's just some of my thoughts coming to my mind when answering that question. Yeah, totally. So essentially, you're doing 900 loans. That's a, an incredible amount of income and success. What did you do with that, or did you do stuff with that to position yourself for the future? Yeah, I, I own a bunch of multifamily properties that are currently property managed out uh, with a management company, and I'll oversee it. But they're all multifamily, class A, B plus type of multifamily environment. It's the only places we owned. Not I, I've owned properties all over Delaware Valley, Lehigh Valley. I mean, class C, low income housing. I did it all, but I always kept this one set of portfolio, uh, which was all multifamily. So um, I'm dipping my toe back in the pond in the past three and a half years now to kind of look back at multifamily scene. I'm going to be a little more bearish, but I have a close to what 95 doors in multifamily space. It's fine. It's a, a collaboration between my family. So it's a family office, small family office. We're just kind of waiting and watching. We're not selling anything by any means. Just where do we go with it? You know, um, totally. but uh, yeah, that we're, We'll start look, now in the in the industry I'm in. I'll start seeing opportunities that will present themselves now the right way. And uh, so uh, yeah, I'll see some growth over the next couple of years as this market and the shoe drops in some areas throughout the country. So, but yeah, the multifamily has been a great generational wealth, great extra spoon in the soup. You know, I don't have a bad month. Ninety five doors. That's awesome. Yeah, you're yeah. you're secure. Yeah, I'm okay. Yeah, I mean, it's all good. There's no, there's very little debt. It's all lines of credit on the properties. Because my dad and my uncle, the way they set it up was uh, more of insurance based. So everything satisfied out when they passed away or as they passed away. They didn't pass away the same day. But so I'm just saying that there's not debt on the building. So it's, it's mm. just free and clear. They're, they're in good locations. Flow. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I mean, it's retirement. That's not something I could take it, dive into now. Mm -hmm. That's now, that would be like doing the worst evil. Like, not mm -hmm. doing what I'm doing now and then just yep. sit back on my on my hands and just disappear. And I don't want, I'm not that kind of guy. Totally. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. So Joe, you mentioned this three and a half year time frame, probably four or five times already. So I'm curious, is there something that happened three and a half years ago that triggered a transformation or or I'm just kind of curious why the three and a half years keeps So going May fifteenth, twenty nineteen, I'm a stroke survivor. So uh, my life was unraveling because I had too many, uh, I would say, toxic people clinging on to me, people that needed me. I was the smartest guy in the room and I didn't have five other smart people. I was the smartest guy and I had like five other dumb people. So I had to clip the bushes, 
down to just the branch. You know what I mean? So everybody got fired once I got out of the hospital. I was overweight. I was 350, 350 pounds. My today's weigh-in is 215. Okay? Um, before I got wow. in here, I got, I got a neurotransmittal stimulation. Yeah. So I, I got a neurotransmittal stimulation to my brain right before I came on to this uh, podcast because I like to keep my, my brain waves clear. So I, t- I do a lot of different holistic type of measures. Like I'm going to a, I have a cryo session later on this afternoon, uh, kind of freeze up the body and let that blood flow go wild. You know, you feel young again. <laughs> so um, I do a lot of different holistic measures. And I, I think in the last three and a half years, I have better conversations with people on strategy than more going for the deal. So I'll have 15, 20 calls a day, 30 calls a day, 40 calls a day. But it's about building relationships and strategy. So my way of being in what I do in my industry now is I'm more of a part of the power team individual. It's not the one we all. I'm yeah. building out the, the relationship. They know I have the resume. I don't have to talk about it. I'm not selling any workshops, which I think is good to have, but I just don't, I can't sell anything because of my licenses. Um, but I am publishing a book. I'm just finishing up the, the, the paperwork. It's just approved. We're trademarking it because it's going to be a series of three books. And uh, that comes out sometime in September. So all this stuff has happened in the forefront, the, the CE accreditations in the various states, act, reactivating my real estate licenses, being a direct private lender since I had a stroke. And oh, by the way, I did those 900 loans year one after the stroke, year two after the stroke, year three, I got into direct private lending, working for a company that's owned by Blackstone Capital. Not too shabby in recovery. Totally. You know? mm-hmm. I mean, if that makes a lot of sense. Now, my goal weight is 195, but that's just a goal weight. I mean, I can get to 185. I don't know. Whatever I get to, I'll be fine. Because, mm-hmm. you know, as long as I can see my two feet, I'm okay. Yeah. You're living a lifestyle, not a diet. Exactly. Diet fail. There's yeah. no shortcut in success. That's the same thing with real estate. There's no shortcuts. I, I've not seen one successful shortcut. This is so interesting. Like you had a stroke and then had the best years of your life. Yeah. Do you directly correlate it just simply to the replacement of the toxic relationships in your life to healthy ones? Or what would you say was the big transformation? I think ridding myself of the toxic waste. People that were depending on me for their successes, depending on me for everything. I want to depend on people that actually know what they're doing. Okay. I think Denzel Washington said a quote at some graduation, you know, you hang out with five smart people, you're the sixth smart person. I want to hang out with brilliant people. I, I don't go to these like these smaller events, which I'll attend events here locally and like because that's part of my job position, but I, I thrive at the trade expos because the level of intellect, these guys are all smarter than me. I want to sit down and listen to mm-hmm. them. And if I get one golden nugget out of their panel, I'm going to apply it to my lifestyle, what I do and how I work with my clients. So I like the higher level environments because it's growth building. So like like this month alone, I'll be in Dallas, Texas for the REO asset manager convention, five star. I'm going to be right up there with a notepad and everything. You know why? Because I want to know more than the average individual by the people that are way smarter than me in that industry. Right. I'm going to be speaking at the Ohio RIA in uh, November. Okay, 2,000 people. It could be two people in the room. It doesn't matter to me. I'm going to crush that. Okay, absolutely crush it. 
Okay. And so those type of environments, it's so funny. One of my mentors, he goes, Joe, I never saw somebody get more built or bigger looking at a, at, at a expo than you. You look like you're like, you turned into be six foot tall. I'm only five, seven, by the way. He's like, you look six foot tall when you're at these events, you get, you get big, you look like the Hulk. So I just, I, I get really pumped up in, in the higher level. I get really excited. That, that stuff gets me really pumped up. So um, I think these past three and a half years have been a learning lesson about uh, life, uh, love, mm. friendship, who you want to be, who you want to go all the way down the road with. I, I lost my, one of my best friends to uh, esophagus cancer about two years ago, and I could have been that person. This is a guy that never drank, never did drugs, never did anything. Clean cut and dies of esophagus cancer at 52. Me, look, I was overweight, drank, did all kinds of crazy stuff growing up. I'm not going to disclose that here, but I, nothing's on video or film, so I'm pretty safe in the 80s. So, mm -hmm. um, and I'm still here. Why, why was I the lucky one? You know, is that, is that luck? Is that karma? I don't know. But I made a promise to him that I will get to my college weight before, before I, as I recovered, I made a promise to him yeah. as in his, when he, we were, before he, he died, we talked and he's mm. like, I want you to get down to your college right now. I want you to kick some ass. I'm like, done, done. Beautiful. Uh, yeah. So very inspiring. Yeah. I love that. Um, I'm actually curious because I was thinking about this before you even mentioned that. Um, so you were talking about mortality there. Did you have a, um, emotional experience with mortality when the stroke happened my blood pressure and did that affect the way you were yeah i mean because i'm guessing because you went right after it yeah my blood pressure my, it almost yeah. feels like it gave you more drive. yeah my blood pressure was 250 my heart should have exploded oh, oh my god yeah. Yeah. so i um uh, i'll tell you a little irony story so when i had i wasn't feeling well um i, I said let me go to the jacuzzi let me sit in the jacuzzi at the, at the club and i'll feel better you know whatever i fall out of my car on my head on my head, smashed my whole side. I looked like I got hit by a baseball bat. It wouldn't be the first time I looked like that, but it was pretty rough looking. Uh, two broken nose in my daytime, so my, my lifestyle. So I, I, I can, I, pain doesn't kill. So I, I wake up, and there's a guy there, and he's like, are you okay? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't feel well, blah, blah, blah. Can you help me up? I'm not going to help you up. I'm going to call the ambulance. Calls the ambulance. It was there 15 minutes. I had to stroke at 7.15. Ambulance was there at 7.30. I was in the hospital by 7.45. I said, what's your name? Told me his name. I said, listen, I want to come and thank you, blah, blah, blah. I remember his name. I, I remember his car. I kind of made, like, imprinted my brain. I've I, call, I go back to the gym two, three weeks later. I said, listen, I need to find this guy's name in, in your register, blah, blah, blah. And his car, X car, should have something lineage. He's here every Wednesday, 730, I'm sure. Like, somebody goes to the gym at 7 o'clock. They're typically there every Wednesday. So. Right. I have yet to be able to find him. And meet him and thank him for saving my life. Wow. He was never, oh, he was never a member of the gym. Whoa, he was on a guest pass or something like that. I don't know. Holy His God. name's not in the register. They, they have no record of the guy's name at all. They're just for you. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know what that is. You know, yeah. that's something. You know, that kind of woke me up. So I surround myself with healers. Uh, very homeopathic type of friends that are brilliant in health and my wife who will give me all the guilt that I can can take in to stay healthy as well. So it's all good. Love it. 
So you have this wild success by removing the toxic waste. You replace it with just some amazing people that are uplifting you, encouraging you, inspiring you, et cetera. You find additional passion by going to these events where you have these real experts. You're getting expert level knowledge. You transform that into doing 900 loans a year, which is just nuts to think about. Then you're buying multifamily apartment buildings with, with the excess and you're setting yourself up for life. Now that you've arrived at this place where you could live on the passive income, what is driving you one? And then, so this show is all about freedom and purpose. And so a lot of the people that we work with and ourselves included, we, we were so driven to get financially independent so that we can have freedom. And then we want to step into the purpose that, you know, our lives. So what, what sort of purpose fulfills you and how is this, how do you stay driven even though you've reached financial freedom? So one of my, my coaches that I took some of the classes with back in uh, about 10 years ago, it, it only kind of resonates now. It didn't, it didn't resonate then. But, you, you know, you ever drink Poland Spring out of the bottle of water, right? You ever, you ever have a bottle of Poland Spring? Bottle of water, so yeah. Can you, can you imagine going to the physical Poland Spring and tasting the water right from the spring? What's the difference of that? I mean, you drink it out of a bottle, which is good water, whatever. But that whatever that taste of that uniqueness, I want to provide, I want to be able to be that provision in the lending space of that, that pole and spring option. Like I'm going to give you a refreshing, honest, direct communication and answer to your concerns or your, your, your inquisition, your inquiry, um, whatever it might be. So I want to become that, that go-to individual in the market. I don't have, I don't have to beat my chest like a gorilla, but I, when I walk in, my presence will be known, you know, and that's what drives me now because I have the financial wherewithal to last any type of market. I have the love of my life, my best friend in my world. I have the best friends surrounding me in my circle of influence and I have some really good people to, to consult with. So what else is there to do, but kind of just provide that back in, in different channels like such as this. Yeah. And just enjoy life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, I mean, I would love to get into what you're currently working on now. So you're working with Lending One. Mm -hmm. Could you kind of walk us through um, what that looks like? So I'm a, I'm a business development manager. Uh, so I covered the Northeast region, but I can like, I could do a loan in all 50 states. Um, we're, we're obviously known for debt service coverage ratio loans, 30-year fixed, one through four, multifamily, mixed use, uh, the Burr strategy, one-time close, uh, fix and flip, new construction. Uh, blanket loans, which are extremely popular right now, doing multiple properties at the same time in a blanket environment. Uh, revolving construction line of credit uh, for more advanced or at least a little more experienced borrower that has at least three or five deals in the past 24 months that's doing like heavy rehab for either hold or fix or flip. We have non-recourse or recourse options. Uh, we're definitely, I mean, we'll welcome the newer investor to the, more, the most experienced. I mean, it all depends. And this is the thing, lending one this past year is not the same lending one from three years ago. You know, you got to remember Blackstone's is, is Tom is on the heat with them now. Uh, the CEO, is, I love working for my CEO. I think Matt's a great guy, brilliant guy. He created the company. He's a very hands-on CEO as well, Matt Neeser. Uh, he's from the New Jersey market, so he kind of understands my drive. Uh, he gets a, We're like a little entertaining us North Jersey guys, so he mm -hmm. kind of... Uh, it finds us animated, so it's kind of fun at the same time. So, uh, but 
he's no one's gotten in my way for what I'm doing in the sense of creating accomplishments. Like I just got certification in Delaware to teach CE, right? Just yesterday. I sent it over like, man, great job. And what do we, how can we get you in front of 200 realtors now? They want to know how to, how to, uh-huh. how to now get me in front of people. Like like before, if I did that in, in regional banking, oh, that's great. Have a good time. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for paying for it on our behalf. Like they're not going to, they wouldn't, they didn't even want to expect, allow me to expense it. You know what I mean? So like it's a whole different response. Yeah. Yeah. To work for a company that's, values you educating yourself and then and then encouraging you to apply it to their company that's just like like, yeah the corporate world like astounded me and i I know this is not all corporate world there's some great companies but when i worked for the corporate world it was like you would be like chastised for bettering yourself you'd be chastised for going after work and you know building these i mean you could work more hours in the same thing but if you wanted to spend hours innovating for the company it was like you were more at risk of getting in trouble than actually being rewarded. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was, it was always this like guilt driven thing. I lost you guys. Um, it was always this guilt driven thing that you always felt like you were under their thumb. Like here, all the, the gloves are off. It's not a boxing man. It's hand to hand MMA, uh, full contact. I mean, it's, it's Krav Maga, man. You're like close up and, <laughs> and personal. You're, you're going up with the whales. You're, you're trying to identify. I'm trying to identify whales now or mini whales on the way. So my mindset on how to identify the right client is completely different than when I was in the regional banking space because I was I was making somebody somebody else a lot of money. We're making money in my mindset now. We're all making money. We're all doing well together. It's a team effort. There's no I in team. I didn't feel the no I in team in the regional banking space in the traditional lending. And it's no fault for them. They're so highly regulated. They're, they're, they they just squeeze out barely what they you know what profitability. So like to me. I just wasn't in the right space all this time. Now I'm in the right space. Um, based on the list of products that you just offered, it sounds like you're almost totally focused in the real estate investing. One hundred percent. Is that correct? One hundred percent. I easily say one unit to five thousand. <laughs> if you get the five, th- if, okay. you get, if you get the five thousand units, we'll still have an opportunity for you, an option. But I just t- anything in between one to five thousand. I mean, I think that covers everything when it comes to the. The, the lending space that we are, we have an appetite for. Yeah. Now you had mentioned pre-show your appetite is, is really centered around the person that's buying this in an entity, right. not necessarily the person buying it in their personal name. So you're really focused on businesses or a person that has an, a business entity that are doing business, not, not just, you know, the average Joe buying a house to live in as a primary residence in their personal name. It, it's a, it's a true commercial loan. So not, this loan doesn't impact their, their personal credit. So it, it's a business loan or commercial loan, however you want to do it, but it has to be done in a corporate veil. I don't do anything in the personal name. So that's really more for the Fannie Freddie, uh, you know, traditional lender. And they're, they're kind of getting lost by the wayside because they know they can't do this. It's, it's a non-QM environment. A lot of these places don't want to touch that or they don't even really know how to comprehend it. So my client already is very aware or most clients out there are aware that they can't buy in their personal name anymore and, and scale. There's no way you're going to be able to scale without using direct private lending. It's just, it's going to be impossible because the banks are only going to get more expensive and they're going to go more restrictive as this market turns, which we see some imminent things coming up in the next 12 months. 
Yeah, well, let's jump into that. I mean, obviously, nobody has a crystal ball, Joe, so we're not going to hold you to predicting <laughs> the future. But like, what do you think of the current market situation? And if you were to give your best guess, where do you think it's headed? You're witnessing a 10-year reset in the economic cycle. So for everybody that lived off the high for the last 14 years on the last 10-year cycle, now you notice I said the last 14 years of the 10-year right. cycle. Longest bull run in American history. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. So... We're looking at a 10-year reset. We're looking at a, a, a whole different rate environment, which is more relevant to more the O2 to 6 environment leading up to 2008. The only difference between leading up to a 2008 or leading up to whatever we're going to, direct private lending is now a new lane in that intermediary, which is going to alleviate a lot of the uh, investment space and pressure that uh, the traditional banks took on in the last debacle. So I think, that, and there's so much more liquidity and so much, so much less real estate inventory in the market compared to 2008. Now, fast forward over the next 12 to 24 months, how does the REO foreclosure workout inventory look like and how will that impact the, the market over the next 24 months sooner or later, depending on what region or what state you're in and how quick they can get a lot of those REOs at the forefront to the consumer. Whether yeah. now again, then you, at the same time you have homeowner resentment because the rates are not two percent anymore that their friends got three years ago. Now they're six percent. Maybe I'll just rent and 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 live in an eat, work, and live environment and let somebody else take care of me, and then I'll only buy a house if I have to. So as you're seeing the next three to five years, it's going to be a landlord play because you're going to have less homeowners going in to buy these properties, and what's going to happen is the landlord can go outbid the homeowner. And then rent it right back to the homeowner they outbidded because they wanted to live in that house in the first place. And those pay rent in lieu of a yep. mortgage payment and it alleviates their, their responsibility. And that's your new generation coming into the buying market, which is Gen Z and millennials. They 50%, that's 50% of your buyer base and they don't, are not compelled to buy. They don't want a landscape. They don't know really how to hang a picture other than ordering from Ikea. So it's it's a different it's a different homeowner, you know, that has to buy a home now. The landlord knows that as long as they debt service of one point two or better, that's a good rental. They're gonna get the tax deduction, they're gonna have a reliable renter, and now they just built generational wealth and took all the tax benefit write offs that are available to them as a, a real estate professional. Amazing. Do you see prices dropping? Or do you think those I mean, because there's some people that are predicting massive price drops, massive, just everything is going to be ugly. And then there's, there's a lot of contingent of people that are going, okay, we believe it's going to be ugly from the standpoint, homes are going to take a long time to sell, things are going to work slowly, but we don't, they're not predicting a huge price drop. Where, where would you fall on that? I'm going to say there's going to be a price drop of normalcy that's needed between 6 and 10%, depending on what region you're in. Uh, I don't think it's going to hit every market. If you follow the migration reports, you know, whether it's U-Haul or Penske, you know, is Florida going to go anywhere anytime soon? You got 10, 10 cities in, in Florida alone in, increased 20% population, six in, in uh, Texas, two in Wisconsin, because everybody's getting out of Chicago. So Madison and Milwaukee had high impact. Uh, there's a couple places in Carolinas, but there's also saturation issues in the Carolinas, uh, specifically North Carolina. And then Georgia, that Atlanta market is getting extremely saturated. So is there going to be a drop or is there going to be normalcy? Um, and to the more inexperienced 
non-data-driven individual that's not reading the market every day and looking at articles and reading statistics, yeah, they want to see doom and gloom because maybe they're thinking they're going to force, convince their buyers to buy now, buy now. Uh, I think this is going to be a bear market over the next three years for a landlords, and they're going to pencil down a little harder. They're going to make sure their debt service works, and they're going to be in the controlling seat. And I think uh, you're going to see attrition in real estate agents uh, probably by the end of this year. You're already seeing an attrition. You see operational lay layoffs in a couple of the real estate offices already been, been announced in the past six months. You're going to see more of that. You're going to see AI take over a lot more of that environment. And what you're going to see in the real estate industry from a realtor perspective is more data-driven, educationally sounded real estate agents that are also extremely investor accessible and understanding. Mm -hmm. Totally agree, particularly on the last part. You saw that in the 2008 market where it's like the number of transactions did drop, but it was just more, in my opinion, that the transaction shifted from the regular buyer seller to the investors and then the agents that were able to migrate to be investor accessible really really did really well this is gonna be a great time for some people i mean this i i have more clients scaling and expanding their real estate portfolio than i've ever seen before i i, I mean my last three loans alone i can tell you right about the close they went out and buying another 40 or 50 properties they're not slowing down they're just buying better because now they understand direct private lending. They, they're all used to going to the bank. Now they're all like flipping their brain saying, listen, just look at the debt service. Don't worry about the rate. Look at the debt service. Hyper-focus. What's your debt service? What do you want to feel comfortable at? And they're like, well, I want to be at 1.5. Then you got to buy it at this. Okay? Totally. Or like what they're doing is they're coming to me with portfolios and saying, and I'm like, listen, I'll lend up to this. Whatever you get this property for, it's only going to give you more play in the debt service. So like they'll send me a portfolio of 40 properties to look at. I'll give them terms at 70%. And, and this is this is my loan amount. Whatever you buy it at is going to be your exposure. And you got to weigh out your return on investment based on this debt service. And they're like, whoa, a residential loan officer doesn't know how to put that together. They, they wouldn't even know where to, how to grip that together. Yeah. So I walk them backwards into better buying and penciling deals down harder, which will reflect on some some values coming down but we need that because we need home ownership to pick up the slack in three to five years again as we start seeing more inventory back on the market from reos and foreclosures short sales attorney workouts whatever you want to call it yeah absolutely man so joe like what do you think your vision would be for the next 12 to 18 months like what are you working on now what are you trying to build me personally i'm building out three books that i'm trademarking Okay. Uh, first book is called Leveraging Direct Private Lending, which gives a full educational uh, breakdown of traditional lending, hard money, and direct private lending. Next will be a book called Leveraging Social Media for Real Estate Professionals. And the third book will be Leveraging Networking in the Real Estate Industry. So that's all pending trademark. Um, I'm getting my C certification in, like I said, just Delaware now, Connecticut. I'll probably expand it to New York State. So I'll be, be able to teach CE on this subject in five states. Uh, I'm expanding my license. I reactivated my license in real estate. So I can, once I go back, come to go to five star conference, I might walk back with one asset manager. I just need one. I don't need all of them. I just need one asset manager to like me and start listing REOs or foreclosures in New Jersey and PA on their behalf. 
and I'll be more of a re passive referral agent. I'll bring in a, a couple agents to kind of handle that type. I, I'm not going to get dirty with it. I'm busy mm -hmm. on the lending space. And then I think the Ohio RIA, which is one of the largest RIAs in the country holding a convention, that's where you jockey for uh, presentations. Um, so I'll be I'm the platinum sponsor for Friday and presenting in front of a lot of people. Most of those people have their own investor groups throughout the country, which in reflection, they'll invite me to come out and speak. I don't charge anything. I do provide a book that I sell. Well, I will be selling. They could charge a workshop to have workshops. So that's going to expand my brand across the country. And then I tie that back into Clubhouse, which is a uh, international phone app podcast that I have Siren Sunday talks with like-minded real estate professionals to grow out and expand our brands, our knowledge, and our advisory. It's just suggestions because, you know, our disclaimers, we're not your, your, your lawyer. We're not your CPA. We're here just to kind of give our own worldly opinions, but we're tracking anywhere between three to 500 per day on Saturday and Sundays in that, in that audio podcast. So, I, I mean, it. there's a lot of, and then I'm going to look at more properties to acquire now. Now that I'm, I feel like I'm in full recovery. It's time to get back on the uh, on the horse for acquisition. So cool. Absolutely. Go ahead, Matt. Yeah, I, I just I'm. It's really impressive to see the journey that happened after the stroke. I'm just. It's kind of, you know, on my brain to see that level of production, that level of growth, the takeaways. And to see that you went from, you know, struggling so much that your body's shutting down to now you're speaking on big stages, you know, healthy. It's really inspiring. I'm, I'm hoping our listeners are going to take this in and recognize what toxic waste they have in their life and move quickly to eliminate it. Yeah, health is wealth. Health is wealth. I mean, everything else will come into place if your health is there. And my brother always jokes because he's seven years older than me. Say, hey, man. I can't be a superhero like you. You're doing all this crazy stuff. My brother's not, you know, like he understands holistic stuff, but like, hey, I'm just, I just got back from a cryo session. I'm trying to explain them. I've done like a hundred sessions, a hyperbaric chamber, breathing in the hundred percent oxygen, like all kinds. Of, he's like, man, you got like superhuman strength. And like, he was like, you're like a story. I, I talk about you all the time. I'm like, I'm just being me, you yeah. know, I'm being consistent, you know, and continuous. And that's what you have to be in this business. And you know what? Don't take anything in this real estate industry personal. The minute you let them rent free space in your brain, they got you. Totally. It's very yes or no, very black and white. There is no good or bad news. It's news. So whatever you've got to provide, you provide it quick and you pull the bandaid off. Yeah, I love it. I love the mindset. I love the journey. Um, Joe, so like anybody in the audience, like if they wanted to get in touch with you, what would be the best way for them to reach out? They could uh, email me at jscarese, J-S-C-O-R-E-S-E, -E, at lendingone.com. That's L-E-N-D-I-N-G-O-N-E.com. Or they can contact me at 215-290-5108. That's direct, or they could text me from that number, and I could set up a, a strategy talk or discussion with them in their scenario. Absolutely fantastic. For those of you out there listening, now you know how to reach Joe. Joe, I want to sincerely thank you for giving us a glimpse into your life and into your business. And more importantly, the journey that you went along and, and through the challenges and successes that you've had. It's been an absolutely tremendous experience. Um, and to those of you out there chasing freedom, freedom is acquired one action at a time. 
Um, if you could do nothing else, please at least write down one action that you got from today and commit to doing that within the next seven days and, and tell somebody you know that can hold you accountable. And before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. So thank you for listening and we'll catch you on the next one. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Engagement is like gold to us. We can't do what we're doing without it. Reviews and subscriptions, particularly on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, are worth more than money. So please do what you can to support the show. 